All right, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, Go ahead and stand with me because I'm going to read the Scriptures. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Um, This has been our anchor passage this whole time. It will continue to be our anchor passage today. And uh, let me read this for us. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This is God's word. You may be seated. So I saw this week a disclaimer uh, in a parking lot, um, I think it was a restaurant, uh, that that was on a sign of the parking lot that, that said this, remember what the valet who parked your car looks like because we do not have valet parking. Uh, Just in case your car gets stolen, but okay. I have a disclaimer uh, this morning, and that is today we're going to talk about journaling, okay? And this mount site sound very uh, ordinary and pedestrian and all those things, and here's my disclaimer. Uh, I can't take you to a verse of Scripture, I can't take you to a passage that mandates that you journal. There's no, you know, you shall journal and you shall not skip journaling. There's no, I can't even show you from the life of Jesus that he journaled. There's nowhere to point you there, so why are we talking about this? Well, because Paul says to Timothy, Uh, train yourself for godliness, and he doesn't give him parameters around this. He says, Timothy, whatever's going to deepen your walk with Jesus, whatever's going to make you look more like Jesus, whatever disciplines need to be a part of your life, then Timothy, that's what you do. You train in these ways. Now, the Bible shows us a lot of those ways, but here is something we have to infer from the Bible rather than a specific scriptural mandate. And by the way, I think we can. Okay, so for example, I could take you to the Psalms, and I will here in a moment. And I would suggest to you the Psalms are a form of poetic journaling, right? They are David and Asaph and others who are literally putting their heart on the page. We're saying, here's what's going on in my life and trying to process this with God, right? So you've got, you've got places like uh, Psalm 3. Look at just, just real quickly with me. So David, I'm not going to read all of them, but he says, Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him and God. So he's being taunted by his enemies. And David takes time to sit down and pen something. You go to Psalm 4, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me. I think the idea is now and hear my prayer. God, when are you going to answer? You ever felt this way? David goes before God with that sort of thing. He journals it, we might say. But chapter 6 or Psalm 6, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? So here's David processing, I've sinned. There's something in my life, and I want to I take this before God. He's journaling. I could show you the prayers of Scripture, right? We've got all over, there are literally dozens of prayers in Scripture. Why do we know the content of people's private prayers? Because they took the time to journal them. 
They took the time to put them on paper. So for example, you've got in Nehemiah chapter one, Nehemiah gets word back that, that Jerusalem is in shambles and ruins. The people are in distress. Nehemiah says in chapter, uh, chapter one, verse four, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So for days, he's praying like this. And then if you kept reading, you'd get a summary. You'd get Nehemiah's summary prayer of what he prayed. How do we know? what that summary is because Nehemiah took the time to write it down. We could say he was journaling. He was taking the time to write down his insights before God. Okay, so, so that, that, that we, we could, you know, so I, 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 well, I can't say, hey, thou shalt journal. I can't see that, but I can see certainly many, many examples of what we could call journaling. I'll show you some even a little bit later. Um, historically, I could point you to people like Augustine doing his confessions. That is literally just, just spilling a journal. I'm saying, here's what's going on, and here's how I came to faith, and this is what was going on in my heart. You could, you could go to Jonathan Edwards, who literally had a bunch of journals to sort of capture his thinking in different areas of life, right? So some of the greatest men and women of God in history journal. There's something about that historical knowledge that can help us. So, so what's a journal? All it is, is the place for you to capture information, insights, applications into things that are important enough for you to preserve, for you to consider, for you to remember. That's all that a journal is, okay? Now we'll talk about kind of the mechanics of it, but all a journal does is make you slow down, think, ponder, do what Psalm 62 says. Psalm 62 says, it says to the people of God, pour out your heart before God. Can you do that without a journal? Sure. A journal invites you to go there, right? Maurice Roberts is a British pastor, and he, he, he wrote this. Listen, to this. he's saying this about journal and the impulse toward journaling and the need for journaling. He says this, the logic of this practice of journaling is inevitable once men and women have felt the urge to become molded in heart and life to the pattern of Christ. No one will keep a record of his inward groans, fears, sins, experiences, providences, aspirations, unless he is convinced of the value of the practice for his own spiritual progress. It was this very conviction which made it a commonplace practice in earlier times. We suggest the practice should be revived and that something needs to be said in its defense. To which I would say, amen. I would love to see the practice revived. And I want this morning to say something in defense of journaling. Okay? I want to try, to try to convince you this would be an important spiritual discipline to help you grow in godliness. Right? So let, let's, let's tackle this in two big sections. The first is just simply this. How can journaling help you to train for godliness? Right? Because this is what we're after. Ultimately, what we want to do is respond to what Paul said to Timothy and said, we want to train to be more like Christ. We, we, want, to, we want to walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel. We want our lives to be conformed, and that's going to take discipline. That's going to take for us to, to bring some practices in our lives so that we are conformed to his image. Okay, so how does journaling help us in that, in that goal? Let, let, me, let me give you four things, okay? Number one, it helps you examine and evaluate your life. Okay, now this is a biblical practice, for you to examine and for you to evaluate your life. Let me show you a couple of passages. First Peter uh, chapter, chapter 3 
verses verses one through five. So I'm sorry. First, first Peter, second uh, Peter, chapter one, verses five through ten. Look at here. Listen to Peter. He says this: For this very reason, talking to believers now, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the, knowledge, in, in, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Now, look, here's what Peter just did. Like, you want to know you're a Christian. He said, make sure of this, right? Now, see, are these things happening? This is a great journaling inventory for you to look at these things that Peter talks about. And do I see these virtues in my life? Do I see these things growing and increasing? Peter says, it's good for us to take stock of that. Paul says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Test yourselves. How do you do that? See, can you test, can you examine, can you self-evaluate without a journal? Sure, you could. Um, I don't know how effective that is. I don't know if there's any sort of objective where you can go back and look and compare and say, man, I, I, I'm, I'm see that I, I'm, I'm growing in these things, right? That's the point. Do you have a means for doing these things? Journaling can be that means. See, listen, journaling could be the thing that the Holy Spirit uses in your life to reveal weaknesses and sin, to show you motives of your heart, to challenge you and push you towards certain things that you would have not taken the time to understand were there. In other words, hear me. A paper and a pencil, a computer screen and a keyboard can, can, be, can go from just being ordinary objects to being an altar on which you, which you lay your life before God and gives you a chance to process those things, okay? That's the first thing. Second of all, journaling helps you meditate on Scripture. Now, remember we talked about meditation early on. And we want to just debunk the idea, this is not Eastern mysticism. This is not spiritual navel gazing. Scriptural, biblical meditation is when you marinate in the Word of God long enough to let it influence your thinking and your behavior. You're, 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 you're taking your Bible and you're sitting in that truth and, and you turn that Bible and that Scripture into prayer. It's now, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm processing. It's, it's changing how I'm thinking. Well, journaling is, is, is helpful in that, in that trajectory, right? I mean, let's be honest. We don't meditate very well. You know why we don't? I'm talking biblical meditation. You know why we don't? Because we are so distracted. We have a thousand things. And now we live in the age of the smartphone where, where with every buzz and ding and tweet and beep, right, I want to pull it out of my pocket and find out what's going on. I can't stay away from it. I got to check it. I, I, I'm, like, I'm like a Pavlovian dog. The bell rings and I salivate, right? I've got to find out what this thing says. We do this all the time. And journaling, I want to suggest to you, journaling is an act of rebellion in an age of distraction. It is an act of rebellion. I will not do this. 
right? Because think about it. What, what, happens to, what happens to you happens to me. Let's say I'm reading through the Psalms and I get to Psalm 23. Oh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And I read that and I think I want to stop and I want to meditate on this right now because I, I think that's a really good passage and I, I want to try to try to slow down. Well, I think you can do that. But if you're like me, you're like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm kind of hungry right now. I do want he makes me lie down in green pastures. Ooh, pastures, that's where cattle are and they make steak and I'm kind of hungry and what's for lunch and I wonder if In-N-Out's open, right? And now I'm, I'm going, right? Now I'm like, and you know, by, while I'm at it, I should probably, I've got some things I've got to put on my task list. No, there's a phone call I've got to make and, uh, and, 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 and suddenly I've got, I've got to check Instagram and I've got to look at this and now all that meditation's shattered, right? Because, because we, we don't slow down long enough. What, here, you know what journaling can do? Here, here's what I want to suggest to you. If I take a pencil and a piece of paper or a computer screen and a keyboard and I begin to type out or write out my thoughts, I have to focus. I have to think, right? I I love how C.S. Lewis says this. He says this, I believe that many who find that nothing happens when they sit down or kneel down to a book of devotion, the Bible, would find that the heart sings unbidden while they're working their way through a bit of tough theology with a pipe in their teeth and a pencil in their hand, right? You're like, I don't want the pipe. Well, the pencil would do you a lot of good, a lot of good. Right, just that slow, methodical slowing down in order to let your heart sing unbidden before God, just to process. And sometimes, sometimes, listen, I feel this. I, I, scripture feels dry to me sometimes. But if I'll slow down and I'll journal, very often something awakens in that process. It will help you meditate on Scripture. That's the second thing. The third thing, it'll help you articulate your thoughts and feelings. Do you ever feel frustrated by this? Is there ever something just sort of rumbling inside of you? You're like, man, I got to get this out. Here's our problem. Life is not like movies, right? And this is one of the things that I, you know, is so disingenuous about movies is that the conversation is so clever and everything's so obviously scripted, right? And they have exactly the right words to say at exactly the right time. And the repartee between the parties is so interesting and curious. And that is not life. We don't articulate ourselves. We jumble our, our words. We, we fumble over things. We can't think straight. We don't know what to say. Our thoughts are distracted. They run in a, a thousand different ways. We run into something and go, man, I wish I knew what to say right now. And we can't find the words. And, and this is one of the things that, that journaling does, right? It, it gets us to stop and think, okay, I, I want to try and articulate what's going on in my heart right now. There might just be something just burning and churning inside of you that the Lord has placed there. Maybe it's some scripture. Maybe it's, and, and you're like, man, I, I, I've got I've to work this out, right? I've got to write this down, type it out, get my thoughts in order. There's something good about articulated thoughts on a page, Sir Francis Bacon said, reading makes a full man, conversation a ready man, writing makes an exact, exact man, right? We have to, have to actually think. This is part of focusing. Bring ourselves and say, I'm, I'm going to really think about this. See, it gives us a place to do that. I can, I can think and process through emotions and thoughts and anger and complaints and thanksgiving. Listen, I've done this. I've done this sort of have to spill my heart onto a page 
and like, okay, now, now help, me, help me wade through all of this. It helps you articulate thoughts and feelings. And then lastly under this, it helps you remember God's faithfulness. Sir Francis Bacon said that, but he also said this, if a man writes little, he will need a great memory. Now think about what he just said. If I had never write anything down, then I'm gonna need a really great memory to remember. And do you know one of, the, one of the most oft-repeated commandments in all of Scripture is what? Remember. Remember, 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 over and over, Israel, remember, David, remember. Uh, we're going to hear it again and again throughout Scripture. Forget not, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, forget not His benefits. I was just thinking about this this morning. How often do I take to remember, to not forget the benefits of being a Christian? I'm called to Remember. And if I never write anything down, then it's no wonder that I forget. And I forget the faithfulness of God. I was talking to a friend this week. He's in his 60s, and he was talking about, man, I remember way back when I used to journal, and I was pretty faithful about that. And he said, I, I, um, I, I, it started to feel like, like performance art. And he, here's what he meant. He was like, it started to feel like I was writing, thinking, oh, someday my kids will read this and I want this to be really eloquent and all of that. And he said, so I stopped because of that. And then he said this, I wish I'd have kept going. I wish I'd have kept going because now that he's in his 60s and now that he has grandchildren, he's like, what a legacy to leave to them. Imagine being able to leave years and years and years of just listen to how God was faithful to me. Listen to me process through this. It's a record of God's faithfulness. But listen, you don't journal simply to go and recount the past. You understand that recounting the past is for the purpose of future hope. Stephen Charnock, I love this. He says this, how worthy it is to remember former benefits when we come to beg for new. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying he's talking exactly how the psalmists talk. Watch what the psalmists do over and over again. Just read it sometime and you'll see this. They'll go, Lord, I remember when you did this and the reason I'm coming to you and, and reminding myself and you is because I expect that your past track, track record is going to prove to be faithful today and into my future. I can actually count on you because I have seen you be faithful again and again and again. You talk to any, any senior saint in this room and they're going to say, I have, seen, I have seen it over and over and over again in my life. I've seen God's past faithfulness and it doesn't stay in the past. It comes all the way to the future. What gives us confidence to go to God again? His past faithfulness. I'm looking and I'm saying, look, Lord, look what you've done. You've got this track record of just being good and kind and faithful. And you're going to do it again, right? When we journal, what are we doing? We're remembering, and this is a good thing, that we remember the past faithfulness of God. Okay, so that's all good. Now, now, how, what, what, what does journaling, what, what, what is, how does this, how does this help in the, the purpose of training for godliness? And what does that look like? What does it look like for me to journal for the purpose of godliness? And here's where I just want to get really practical. Like, what do you actually do if you're like, hey, I can see where this would help deepen my faith, would help grow and train me in godliness. 
I'm not sure what I do once I pick up the, piece of pe- the, the pen and the piece of paper or sit down at my computer. I, I'm, I'm not sure how I go about that. So let me, let me just say, first of all, there's no right way. Okay, again, there's nothing in Scripture that would say this is what journaling should look like. Now, we can talk about prayer uh, in, in a different way. It looks a certain way. There's there, you pray to God through Jesus Christ. There's lots we could say about that, but not when it comes to journaling, right? It's simply a tool for you to use to grow you and deepen you in godliness. So I don't, what I don't want to do is give you rules for journaling, a certain length and tone or anything like that, that turns it into a, 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 a rule for legalism. I want you to see it as a tool for growth, okay? That, that's really what it is, and it's going to be a very personal thing for you, okay? Christ did not die, so you'd keep a journal. Okay. But his dying has given you plenty of things to journal about, Okay? So, so let's talk about that. What might it look like? What, how, how could you use journaling? And let me, let me give you four ways I've journaled in my Christian life, okay, and at various times that have been helpful to me. And I want to sort of start at the simplest and easiest way to journal, and we'll just call this just writing Scripture. Okay, now, now uh, incidentally, This may be the simplest, but it's probably also the one I can point to and go, oh, here's a principle found in Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 18. Listen to this. Here's a law in Old Testament Israel. And when the king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law. Now, I think I can extrapolate that and say, hey, if this is good for an Old Testament king, it's good for New Testament Christians. What was going on there? The first order of business for a king when he ascended to the throne of Israel was to sit down with parchment and pen and painstakingly and slowly write out the law word for word. Can you imagine this? Every single word of Deuteronomy and Leviticus and parts of Exodus, right? There's all this that he would have been charged. And as the biblical canon grew, he's writing more of that. Now, now why would God require a king to do that? Why might the king want to? Why might you and I want to? Well, first of all, I think it's so that the king who's going to rule over his people can never say, I didn't know that. Right? You, you, well, you wrote it down, right? You, you, you should know this. That's one thing. Uh, but, but the other thing was so that the king would slow down and meditate. Think about how long that took. Okay, we're not, in a, we're not talking about an age of computers and keyboards, right? We're, we're talking about inkwells and feathers and, and leather parchments and, and trying to do this. And you're, you're, you're one by one writing down these commandments, these laws. Now, now, what happens when we engage our mind like that and we slow down? Oh, it's like C.S. Lewis said, the heart sings unbidden. And now you find that I'm writing this law and that takes my mind to a place where I can now process through what I'm thinking. See, see, some of you can do this. 
fact, by the way, you can just go on Amazon. You'll, you'll see there's a series of journals called the 1718, after Deuteronomy 1718, journals that have the Bible on one side and blank on the other, and you just are, you're just sort of acting as a copyist and, and, and doing it a little bit of time. And the idea behind there is simply that you're ruminating slowly on the Word of God versus just powering through it on a Monday morning and trying to read three chapters in 10 minutes. You're going slow. And then maybe, you, maybe a verse, you're like, oh, and maybe that causes you to think and maybe to process some of the thoughts and prayers that you have. You can simply write down scripture. I want to suggest to you that's a legitimate form of journaling. And by the way, maybe this explains why David says some things in the Psalms that seem to us incomprehensible. He says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. He's saying this about Deuteronomy. Any of you get excited about Deuteronomy? Like you should, right? Leviticus, you should. But, but, but how if we're just powering through? He's stopping and saying, man, I love your law. I love what it's doing for me. It's my meditation day and night because he's probably copying and going slow. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is you, you use it as we just read, to meditate on Scripture. So here's the, where your heart sings unbidden. Here's what I mean by that. So let's say you're, you're reading through our Bible plan and you got to Esther maybe a week or two ago and you're reading through Esther and it's this wonderful story, right? You're just captivated by one of the best short stories ever written. And you come to Esther chapter 4 verse 19 where Mordecai says to Esther, right, perhaps you have been placed here for such a time as this. Well, one of the things you can do is you can go, okay, maybe, maybe that verse arrests you. I want to stop and I want to think about that. So, so here's what you can do. Take out a piece of paper, pull up a document on your computer, write Esther 419. You write out the text of Scripture. And then you just begin to think through, okay, Lord, what does this mean? Maybe, maybe it takes your mind in the direction of, Lord, you placed her there. You placed me here. It's not an accident that I'm in this church or in this neighborhood or in this family or at that workplace. Perhaps it's for such a time as this. So that problem that I want to avoid, Lord, may, maybe you actually want me to be a part of the solution. Okay, does, I'm, not, I'm talking, we're not talking pages and pages unless that's where your heart goes, Right? Maybe you would take that passage of Scripture, and some of you have heard of the ACTS model, right? A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And you just being okay. What, what about that verse causes me to adore God? God, you're sovereign. You, you determine times and places. You set Esther here for just this time. What does it cause you to confess? Lord, sometimes I, I don't believe that, and sometimes I think it's random, whatever, and I, I confess to you that sin. Maybe it brings you to a place of thanksgiving. Lord, I'm so thankful for the neighborhood, the job, the place you've placed me in. Maybe it brings you to supplication. God, I need your help with this issue. I know you've placed me here. I just don't know my way through. You see what I mean? This can just be a way of you slowing down, even pulling out one verse and going, I'm gonna focus on this. I've done this many, many times where I'll just take it, I'll, I'll grab it, I'll put a verse at the top. Okay, let's just think. Let's just think. I'm going to slow down and think through this. How does this cause me to think about the Lord, to think about Scripture, to pray? Okay? 
We meditate on scripture that way. Number, number three, to record God's faithfulness, right? So we're going to take this idea we said at first and say, okay, now what do we want to do? We want to actually record it. We want to put that down. What if you decided, not a big journal entry, what if every single day you simply wrote out a sentence or two of just said, here's where I've seen God's faithfulness today. Imagine if that became a habit. Here's what I promised would happen to you. If that was a habit, you would begin to look for ways. You think it's a good thing to be looking for the hand of God's faithfulness every single day? That's a great thing. That's a wonderful habit for you to be in of just going, God, you know, if, if it's true, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. And that means that everyone in here who names the name of God and says, I'm a believer, there is something every single day where you see the mercy, the goodness, the faithfulness of God. Lord, today I have my health. Lord, today I have food in my stomach and a shelter over my head. Last night I slept in a bed that was warm. Father, I have children that that are serving you. Lord, you've given me a job that provides for my needs. There are literally billions of things you can say in thanksgiving to God. I think I've told many of you this story before, but years ago, well, before I came to Foothill, the summer before I even knew Foothill existed, I was, Michelle and I were convinced we were headed to North Carolina. Uh, there was a church out there that, that we went out, we interviewed, and, and they called us the day after we got back and said, chose somebody else. And by the way, really glad that happened, and I'm so glad I'm here. But I was devastated. I was, I, it really just put me into a spiritual funk, and I didn't know what to do. And I'm kind of whining and complaining and sulking and uh, being a baby, right? And my wonderful wife, Michelle, who you know, she's so patient. She's literally the kindest person I know. And she, she finally, I think, had had enough of these days of me sulking. And she came to me and she said, Chris, basically, stop it. Just stop, right? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit down, Chris. I want you to take out a piece of paper and a pen. And I want you to just begin to list everything. Everything that you're thankful for. Like start at the beginning. You go back as far as you can. And you just, man. So I'm like, yes, ma'am. And I sat down. And I literally just started making one. I just, thing after thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. And it went on and on and on and on. And I'm telling you what. It raised me out of that spiritual funk when I could look around and go, look at what God has done for me. Look at how good God has been to me. And it deepened my faith right? This is, this is one of the things we can do. This is one of the acts of journalism, of, of journaling that simply is like, just can, can we put a record down of God's faithfulness? Not, not, not because we think people are going to be peering over our shoulder, but because it's just true. God has been faithful. And, and lastly, just simply to pray. Do you know it's okay for you to write out your prayers? I think, I think in the modern church, especially within modern evangelicalism, we sort of think that the most powerful prayers are the most extemporaneous prayers, right? That is that they just sort of spontaneously flow. Well, wonderful, you know, if, if that, that's great. But some of the greatest prayers in history were written down on a page for us to remember, 
right? Now, I'm not asking you, I'm not saying write them out and try to be super eloquent. No, just write your prayers. Like sit down and, and begin to go, okay, oh Lord, here's how, and maybe you again, maybe you follow the Acts model, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. But you, you give some structure and you just begin to write and process. Maybe those prayers come out of the other one we mentioned of you meditating on scripture. You just stop, you pause, and that causes you to then sort of overflow into prayer. I think I've, again, I think I've told some of you this story, but let, let, me, let me, for those of you who haven't heard it, I think it bears repeating. It bears repeating for me. I have to remind myself of this story. So 25 years ago, literally this year, I think it is, um, I was practicing law at this time 25 years ago. And I began to sense the Lord was, was moving me out of, uh, out, out of being a lawyer and to go into ministry. And there's a whole story there, but let me fast forward to you to the fall of, of, of 1998. And I'm, I'm wrestling through this and I realize Michelle and I come to this conclusion together that yes, we have to answer this call. I need to, I need to, to go to seminary and, and become a, a minister. And so we, we set out, I, I apply to Dallas Theological Seminary, again, giving you the really truncated version, and I'm accepted around November of, of 1998. We got Gabby and Tucker at home, unbeknownst to me at the time, Berkeley's on the way. And, and so, so, so now I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I need to pick my family up, I need to move us to Dallas, I got to find a place to live. I got to find a job. I got to pay the bills. I don't know how this is going to work. I'm starting to feel almost irresponsible. Right, so, so in December, December 31st of 1998, I sat down and I typed out a letter to the top 10 law firms in Dallas, attached my resume, and as I've told people before, I gave them every reason not to hire me. I can only work 30 hours a week and I need you to pay me this and I need to make benefits and all the, and I'm not on your partnership track and I'm going to leave you after four years when I'm done with school and all that, right? And so I did that and I sent them out. I'm like, okay, Lord, there they go, right? And, uh, and waited. And, you know, probably two, three weeks go by and then the rejection letters start coming in. Nope. We want somebody else. Nope, 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 nope. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do. Well, as the Lord would have it, I'm studying through the Lord's prayer at this time, okay? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. A kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And here's what I would do. I would study that passage and I would take that verse, that, that, that prayer one stands at a time on successive days, right? So our Father. And I just began one day, I was thinking just about God as a father. And I thought about myself as a father. And I have two young children and I love them and I want to care for them, right? And who are in heaven and hallowed and God is glorious. And I'm just journaling. I, I would sit at a computer, right? Those were those big old giant ones, remember, with the screen and all that. And you're, I would sit there and I'd type on that green, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm typing out my prayers. And it felt weird. And I got down to the stanza that said, give us this day our daily bread. And I was sitting there one day and, and I'd studied it and I started to pray and thinking about my daily bread. And I, and I can only tell you it this way. Um, 
I didn't hear a voice from heaven. I think it came just from Scripture, just, just this sense of childlike dependence. Chris, I'm a father, and you need bread. Ask me. Just ask me. And Chris, tell me exactly what you need. Like, get down into the details. I don't want to hear this sort of, oh, I just want encouragement and I just, you know, whatever. All these sort of holy platitudes that we put in place and think we're going to impress God. Just, Chris, get down to brass tacks and tell me what you need. And so I, I started going, okay, God, I, I need a job as a lawyer that pays this amount of money that... I only work 30 hours a week so I can go to school. I need benefits because Michelle is pregnant and I've got children. I, I, Lord, I, I, I need you to provide a doctor because now I know Michelle's pregnant. She's going to be due in May. How in the world are we going to find a doctor that's going to take Michelle that late? It's like, you know, Mary at the inn, there's no room. I mean, I'm just, I'm worried and I start putting these things down and then, then I'm, I'm sitting and thinking and... And I thought, Lord, I, I, need, I need a house. And I need, it, I need it to be three bedrooms and two baths. <laughs> and, and God, I need it to be 10 minutes from the seminary so that I'm not this absentee father. And I look out the back window My computer's downstairs in a basement <laughs> and I can see at ground level and I'm looking into the backyard and there's one of those windows like at ground level and I see a, my kids have a play set out there, a swing. I'm like, I, that's too big, I, I can't take that. And I just put, I need a swing. God, I need a swing. Um... You know, let me say this. I can find theological problems with what I just told you now. Um, but I really hope that, that my theology doesn't make me less childlike. To look at a father because I think about my children and I'd want to help them in very specific ways. So I wrote that, I walked away, I thought, okay, well, whatever. I get a call. I had now by this point gotten nine out of 10 rejection letters. I get a call from one of those law firms. Hey, Chris, are you still available? Like, let me check. Yes, I am. <laughs> And, man, we'd love to fly you down and interview you. And, and so I'm, I'm like, okay. So I, I fly down there and, and I, I go through, you know, the partnership interviews in these firms. That's what you do. You kind of go around to each of the partners and the people in your area. And I begin to talk to these guys. And literally, uh, 
in every office, I heard some variation on this theme. What are you doing? I tell them I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to seminary. Then I'm leaving the practice of law. I'd hear them say, that's amazing. That's incredible. I so admire that. I was, I was, I was, I was dumbfounded. I, I went back to my hotel that night. I called Michelle and I said, look, I don't know how to explain this. All I can say is I feel like God talked to them before I did. A couple weeks later, I'm sitting in my office in Kansas City and, and the phone rings and I pick it up. It's, it's the partner who's in charge and he says, from this firm in Dallas, and he says, hey, Chris, uh, we want to offer you a job. Now, in those days, we, all, we didn't have uh, smartphones. We had Franklin planners. Anybody remember Franklin planners, right? So I opened my Franklin planner, got my pencil here, and Bob is his name, and Bob says, we want to offer you this much money. Check. And we want to give you benefits. Check. And it's going to be 30 hours a week. Check whole family taken care of, check. And he says, Chris, and I remember, I remember literally writing this down in my journal when he said this. He said, Chris, lastly, um, we just want you to know we're really interested in what you're doing and we want to do everything we can to help. That's a law firm talking. <laughs> so Michelle and I get on a plane. A couple weeks later, we go down. We're trying to find a house and we we meet this realtor. They take us all around. She takes us out to the suburbs, takes us different places, finally takes us to a place, and, and we, we end up making an offer on this house. Let me tell you about the house. The house was 10 minutes from the seminary. It was three bedrooms. It was two baths. And if I drove you up to the front of the house, you'd look at the front door, and there was a swing. We were on our way uh, to Dallas, to move there. We stopped in at a church on our way there that we had grown to love. The pastor asked if he was going to do a sermon on, on uh, let the little children come to me. Gabby was a very verbose child. And uh, we, we named her prophetically. We didn't know that. And, and she, he brought her up on stage and interviewed her and just, you know, just wanted to talk about her faith. And then he said, oh, no, and I understand, Gabby, you're going to Dallas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your, what are you most excited for? And Gabby said, we have a swing. Now, listen to me. <laughs> I hope you don't hear me telling you that story thinking, oh, if I go journal, God will give me everything I asked for, <laughs> Right? Here's why I tell you that. I would have, my mind would have never slowed down long enough to even think to do that. To even be challenged by Scripture in that way. To meditate and ruminate, to get to the place where I might even hear the voice of God through Scripture saying, Chris, just ask. What might God do? if we would simply take up the discipline of journaling. Let's pray. Father, uh, we love you. We thank you. You are so gracious and kind. You are so loving. And God, that's just your default disposition towards your children. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you that you use little things like this to encourage us and to grow us in godliness. And so I pray, Lord, I pray that we'd be people that
chase after your heart in whatever way. Lord, there's, there's some that, that journaling may become an altar to God in their room. It may become the key to unlocking a deeper understanding of Scripture or the ability to meditate. And so, God, I pray, grow us. Grow us and use this. Use this as a discipline in our lives for the purpose of godliness, of becoming more like Jesus. Not so that we can be clever. We're not doing it to be published. We're certainly not doing it to be read except by you, Jesus. And so I pray, may this be one more key in unlocking what you want to do in each of our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.